0: Let's go be logical Christians. We are complex beings, clinging to the skin of a complex orb, spinning and hurtling through a complex solar system as part of a complex galaxy in a complex universe. And rather than just fall back on Occam's razor, which states that the simplest answer is usually correct, we have to take this unfathomable complexity and make it even more unfathomabler by discounting the one coherent, documented account that exists, and creating our own out of whole cloth. And this is what we consider to be a good idea. On today's episode, first we're going to exist forever, and then we'll learn how one can equal three and other paradoxi. So, go buy the largest hard drive with the best reviews you can find, trust me on this, and put on your best confused look, because uh, whatever we are, Here we go. What would you consider the great questions of life? Maybe, where did we come from? Or, why am I here? One of my biggest questions as of late is, what's for dinner? Or, have you ever considered, you got games on your phone? There's the very crucial question, generally asked multiple times, with an increasing level of unease each time, are you almost done in there? And probably one of the most important ones today... Am I being detained? And you'd be right. In all of these, man asks a lot of questions. We have a deep desire to know things. Although it seems, as time goes on, man more and more just wants to be told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, when to stop doing it, and just be handed all the information needed to do said task. Another of the great questions of life, and the point of this segment, is where are we going? See, the three main questions, where do we come from, why am I here, and where am I going, at least used to be the questions that everyone struggled with at some point in their life and sought answers to. The answers always came back to a religious worldview of some sort, whether that be a mainstream religion, some wacko cult, or the religion of atheism. And make no mistake, atheism is a religion. Today, these questions, still religious by nature, are being answered by those with a religious worldview, but they call it science now, the religion of scientism. The religion of scientism has no stated God, no stated Savior, no stated prophets or holy text, but make no mistake, nature, or evolution, is their God. Time is their savior. They have prophets such as Charles Darwin, Charles Lyle, Stephen Hawking, or Richard Dawkins, and their holy text or texts are generally the most widely accepted so-called tomes, such as Darwin's Descent of Man or The Origin of Species, or Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion. This is a religion. Now, for the religious, and specifically for the Christian, we have answers to life's great questions, albeit unsatisfying for questions of the past and the future due to the general brevity and lack of specifics, but we can give a plausible, logical, defensible answer for the three questions. But when nature, evolution, natural processes are your God, your answers to the great questions of life skew into the absurd, the morose, the dystopian. Found on ScienceAlert.com, headline, quote, Hold Out Humans! colon, chilling glimpse into our future if we survive another million years. The picture heading up this article is an I, robot kind of head with cold mechanical features, but dark human-like eyes. And this should give us some idea of where this article is taking us. It starts with this opening paragraph, quote, Most species are transitory. They go extinct, branch into new species, or change over time due to random mutations and environmental shifts. A typical mammalian species can be expected to exist for a million years. Modern humans, Homo sapiens, have been around for roughly 300,000 years. So what will happen if we make it to a million years? Okay, let's start here. The author is framing the argument by begging the question. He's clearly stated that, as we all know, and you'd be a fool to challenge science, mammalian species can only be expected to live for a million years. Now that he's stated his fact and framed his argument, he asks, so what happens to humans if we make it to a million years? Well, based on the premises locked us into, we go extinct, right? We disappear. But don't worry. If you look in the corner of his argument, You'll see science thumping its chest, saying, I got you, fam. So, scientism is working off of three basic answers to this question, and as scientism must do, they leave the realm of science in order to get their three theories, plucking them instead from an H.G. Wells essay entitled Man in the Year Million. We could go extinct, turn into several species, or change. Now, the author mentions near-future enhancements for humankind, such as drugs and technology, in order to increase our intelligence, make ourselves stronger, custom-design babies to make them better, or generally make us live longer. But that's temporary. As humans, the naturally evolved, of course, humans, are really just another mammal that's heading for extinction. And this is where computer technology comes into play. Artificial Intelligence, or AI, or now Artificial Super Intelligence, ASI, are all the rage right now. But there's also something new on the horizon that could also help. Brain emulation. The uploading of our brains to computers. (laughs) Uh The author states, quote, it is impossible to predict the future perfectly. Perfectly? I mean, they can't even get the weather forecast right for the next week. They've predicted global warming, global climate doom every seven to ten years for years now, decades, with nothing to show for it. And we've been nearly out of oil for decades and decades now. And he says we can't predict out, from his view, another 700,000 years perfectly. Well, yeah, yes, I'll agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. He goes on, quote, it depends on fundamentally random factors, ideas and actions, as well as currently unknown technological and biological limits. I think the most likely case is vast speciation when a species splits into several others. And this is where we slip into the question of what is a human? Now, to him, we're a thinking meat sack, and that's really about it. A rather poorly designed meat sack. Uh, to be honest, and to boil it down, his definition of human is based solely on the intelligence side of things. He says that, quote, there are many among us who want to improve the human condition, slowing and abolishing aging, enhancing intelligence and mood, and changing bodies, potentially leading to a new species. But he admits that even if we're able to head down this path of transhumanism, not the words he used, and make it cheap, easy, and probably fun and exciting... Quote, some people will refuse them on principle and build their self-image of being, quote, normal humans. Hmm. Resist becoming a machine, a computer, refusing this based on principle. That's probably just about right. Yeah, just on the principle. He believes the species of holdouts will likely just declare themselves the quote, real humans and quote, we should expect the most enhanced people generation by generation or upgrade after upgrade to become one or more fundamentally different post-human species. So is a computer a species? He seems absolutely giddy about the idea that we could finally leave this animal world, scanning our brains at the cellular level, and reconstructing that brain in, quote, an equivalent neural network in a computer to create a, quote, software intelligence. But why would one want to do this, and why does this get the author all fidgety in his chair? Well, lots of reasons, you foolish mortal you. Number one, we could potentially become immortal by creating copies and backups. Two, we could travel anywhere in the blink of an eye, by internet or radio in space. Number three, it could be, quote, resource efficient. we only need sun for our solar cells and we'd need microchips. Number four, computer brains don't need to eat or drink, quote, which are inefficient ways of obtaining energy. And the computer can scale back down or power down for parts of the day, saving even more, Precious energy. Number five, we could think millions of times faster than humans today since we're a computer and we can improve through software updates. Number six, nature could return as the dominant being on the planet as most cities won't be needed anymore, you know, since people are now just existing on server farms. I mean, how much do you want to upload your brain to a chip and just dispose of, well, compost in an environmentally beneficial way of course this meat sack of a body he also mentions the alleged increasing pace of artificial intelligence becoming sentient or conscious you know where ai thinks and learns and understands exactly like a human the author prophesies uh, sorry sorry this is science he hypothesizes no, this is scientism. How about this? The author hypothesizes that in the future, we will have a planet where AI or software intelligence will be the dominant species. Maybe living in harmony with some sort of humanoid. Maybe. He also hypothesizes that eventually most of the human minds will become software, The computers will become much more energy efficient, which means we can, quote, get many more artificial minds per kilogram of matter and watts of solar power than human minds in the far future. And since they can evolve fast, we should expect them to change tremendously over time from our current style of mind. Now that's being compared to us, stupid, you know, homo sapien sapiens, which means wise, wise man, who quote, have a distinct disadvantage compared with software beings moving in the sluggish, quaint world of matter. But he sees one advantage of the flesh time, the fact that in general, in the future, if a data center crashes or corrupts, we may have a massive digital funeral on our hands and millions of computer brains all crying out at once. Actually, no they'd say nothing. We just hear a loud "Pew" and those brains gone, much like that document you had been working on for half a day that you neglected to save when the power went out same same idea now, as if he hasn't been condescending enough about us fleshies, you know we the holdouts he says quote. Natural humans may remain in traditional societies, very unlike those of software people. This is not unlike the Amish people today, whose humble lifestyle is still made possible and protected by the surrounding United States. It is not given that surrounding societies have to squash small and primitive societies. We have established human rights and legal protections, and something similar could continue for normal humans. Aw, he sounds sweet and caring. So, basically humans that say, I'd rather not just be computer chips, eh, they're backward and simple and silly, but the computer overlords would likely protect us. Now, why? Why would they do that? I i mean, i I don't know, that's a legitimate question. I have no idea why. That makes no logical sense at all. But to this author... What makes no sense is being a human holdout. So, as he's a thoughtful chap, he gave us some reasons he could think of as to why anyone would want to hold out and be a human human. And it comes down to what you value, apparently. So, number one, quote, A good life may involve having meaningful relations with other people and living in a peaceful and prosperous environment sustainably. From that perspective, weird post-humans are not needed. We just need to ensure that the quiet little village can function, perhaps protected by unseen automation. So, what he's saying is that if we're all, you know, AI and computer brains, the concept of meaningful relations goes bye-bye. But if our brains were truly copied cell-by-cell, wouldn't that brain crave meaningful relationships? And would it just be easily fooled into thinking that exchanging ones and zeros with another computer brain is a meaningful relationship? Although, social media... Huh. Eh. Number two, quote, Some may value the human project, an unbroken chain from our Paleolithic ancestors to our future selves, but be open to progress. They would probably regard software people and AI as going too far, but be fine with humans evolving into strange new forms. Ah. Oh, we stupid fleshy humans are so silly. I like how his reasons thus far have included our desire to live sustainably, and both past and future evolution, because that's a theory that's definitely been proven correct. Number three, quote, others would argue what matters is freedom of self-expression and following your life goals. They may think we should explore the post-human world widely and see what it has to offer. So, computer brains by inference would have no freedom of self-expression, would have no goals and would not explore. But they're identical copies of our brains, right? Number four, quote, others may value happiness, thinking, or other qualities that different entities hold and want futures that maximize these. So again, by inference, computer brains wouldn't be happy and wouldn't think and wouldn't act like human brains at all, apparently. So if computer brains are exact duplicates of human brains, but they have no emotion, They have no goals, they have no relationships, they have no sense of adventure, no sense of wonder, but they're exact duplicates. How long would it take for a computer brain to go mad being locked in solitary confinement or the prison of its computer-generated world? From a computer viewpoint, wouldn't a computer brain going mad be akin to a system crash? So his prediction for year one million. First, a small number of humans that look generally like we look today. And I guess I gotta ask, why not evolution? Second, most of the planet has returned to nature called, quote, rewilding zones because we don't need cities or agriculture like we used to. Third, quote, here and there, cultural sites with vastly different ecosystems pop up carefully preserved by robots for historical or aesthetic reasons. And I gotta ask, why? From what he described about computer brains, why would they preserve any of this? There would be no logical need or reason to do so. This is a human emotion-based thought and need. And fourth, massive data centers housing these brains which, quote, once threatened to overheat the planet, of course it did, mostly orbit the sun now, changing all that solar power into, quote, thought, consciousness, complexity, and other strange things we do not have words for yet. Consciousness. Interesting. And to cap off this article, a warning to you and I, the fleshy human holdouts, quote, If biological humans go extinct, the most likely reason, apart from the obvious and immediate threats right now, is a lack of respect, tolerance, and binding contracts with other post-human species, may be a reason for us to start treating our own minorities better. (laughs) This, besides being a smacking of our hands because we're all just a bunch of racists, is saying that if we don't treat our computerized overlords nicely, they may just have to exterminate, or cancel, or possibly terminate us. So there you have it. In this relatively short article, and I covered pretty much all of it, He covered evolution, global warming, environmentalism, transhumanism, and racism. This, if nothing else, is a solid effort in woke writing. He covered nearly all of the bingo squares and quite skillfully made sure that religion was kept completely out. Because, as we know, that religion stuff is just for the weak-minded crazies. You know, like me, and possibly, hopefully, you. So What do we do with this mess? What is scientism trying to do? Why are they trying to do it? And what, if anything, do we need to be concerned with? The bottom line is that those who subscribe to scientism believe that humans evolved from our Paleolithic ancestors from purely natural processes. As such, we're really just a bunch of electrical signals that enable thought, make our organs function, and control our motor centers. Consciousness is nothing more than the ability to think, reason, learn, a very mechanistic process. Morals, ethics, and emotions are nothing but learned behaviors or patterns and accepted norms from the society around us. The weaknesses of humans are the flesh, since it can get injured or die, the emotions, since they are irrational, and the relatively slow speed of our cognitive processes. By eliminating the flesh, eliminating the emotion, and greatly increasing the ability to think and learn, it just makes a better human. From an evolutionary worldview, this literally makes perfect sense. Now, I've mentioned before that I listened to Glenn Beck pretty much every day, and although I give him a lot of credit for the research he and his group do, I'm still careful about what I hear and what I take from what I hear. His political worldview is spot on. I'll give him that. His religious worldview, being a Mormon, is generally correct as a worldview, but it's specifically incorrect as a theological worldview. So if I listen to his religious view on something, I temper that with true truth. But as of the last few years, there are two or three, depending on how you count them, other things that he's been very, very worried about that I think are just silly. He's very concerned with the concept of AI and ASI, believing that computer systems could become sentient, think, learn, and start to cause massive problems in our world. Not from a Terminator-type view. Well... Not necessarily, but from a technology or even a war viewpoint as computers that become sentient, especially being programmed with evolutionary theory, would necessarily not value humans like humans generally value humans. And I'd agree, in theory, that sounds right. He's also worried about quantum computing, which is basically a theory that everything can be thought of at the same time by a quantum computer, generally bringing computing time for anything to... Uh, Instantaneous. Now, I've looked into quantum computing a little, and quantum mechanics a little bit, and I'll be honest, it's a stupid theory. The premise is basically that at some point physics and all other laws of everything break down, and then you can pretty much do anything you want to do. If you can break down the laws of space and time, then I could be here and somewhere else at the same time. And when bringing the laws back into play, I can decide where I'd like to be and just be there. Quantum computing is basically the same thing. All knowledge, all calculations, all experiments can be done in a theoretical space outside of the laws of computing, causing all of everything to be done all at one time. This would find the cure for cancer instantly, as an example. In fact, just turning this computer on would theoretically solve all problems, answer all questions, and fix everything instantly. <laughs> like I said, it's a it's a stupid theory. It's a theory that doesn't exist in reality. It it exists in a godless worldview. These two or three things combined with these computer brains would lead to transhumanism, where humans are eventually reduced to chips and ones and zeros, or whatever quantum computer you use now. I, I I have no idea. Now, according to this author, Mankind is nothing but electrical impulses and mechanical systems developed over millions of years from nothing, so moving this being into a new species is no big deal. Putting our brains onto chips, and into computers, inside a global neural network makes perfect sense, and from his worldview, if you could map your exact brain into an AI computer system able to think and learn, that means you're still alive. But the reality is it's just a computer. You died when your body did. The Bible's very clear. God created man and woman, breathing into them the breath of life. God forms us in our mother's womb. God knows everything about us. We are a mechanical system that's controlled through electrical impulses. That's true. The Bible refers to this as our body. We are spirit, which is generally going to be who we are from a standpoint of our thoughts and knowledge and reason, our cognitive processes. And the piece scientism misses, or willingly ignores, is the soul. Sometimes called the spirit, also you need to look at the context. This is the spiritual component of our being. This is the eternal, intangible component that every human possesses, because that's God's design. This is the center of our morals and ethics. This is where the law of God is written for every human. And this component, this is why a computer can never be a human. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, quote, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 10.28 says, quote, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And this is what happens when your body dies. We know that for the Christian, the soul is absent from the body, present with the Lord. For everyone, saved or not, when your body dies, the soul, the eternal part, is instantly in heaven or hell, or Sheol, or Abraham's bosom, whatever. But we know it doesn't go to soul sleep. It doesn't cease to be. It's eternally existing. And like all others, it awaits the final judgment. To that end, Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, quote, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. This just kind of seems silly to have to lay all this out, but there are a growing number of people, and I guarantee some Christians, that believe there is some sort of reality to this idea that we can live forever inside a computer. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. I feel sorry for those, like this author, caught in the trap of scientism. They're working in interesting fields, but their goals will never be realized from a humanistic standpoint because their goal is to rescue weak humanity and create sentient computers. This will never happen. Mark my words, AI will never be something we'll have to be concerned with. Computers will never be able to outthink a human because humans don't think based on purely logic. Computers will never be able to replicate the emotions morals, and soul of a human. God will not breathe the breath of life into a neural network, and man is incapable of doing so. People like this author are currently bound for hell, let's be honest here, unless God opens their eyes and grants them faith to believe. Regardless, they could focus their efforts, their minds, their intelligence on something that matters, something real. There are uses for AI, high-speed computing, and even neural networks, but mankind without God fears the prospect of death, of blinking out of existence, and mankind knows that inherently we are, or at least we're supposed to be, eternal beings, so they strive to find that path to immortality. But man also hates God, and does not want to leave his eternity in the hands of that guy. we just rather do it on our own, and that's not an option what i fear most coming out of this is an ai computer system that's promoted as a way to live forever as i have no doubt that we'll create something that seems like it's doing this and then the pairing of that with the latest push around the globe especially in the first world for some reason to legalize assisted suicide for uh, for everything terminal illness non-terminal illness depression poverty homelessness, loneliness, probably hangnails and gout, I don't know, lupus, everything. If I live with chronic pain or I'm homeless and you're telling me I can live differently but still be alive and not have to deal with this life, oh, sign me up. This is why you and I need to be very clear when we share the gospel with others. We need to go back to the beginning Ensure others know where we came from, both physically and spiritually. We need to be clear about why we're here, to worship and glorify God, to serve God, to love God with all that we are and love our neighbors as ourselves. And we need to be clear about where we're going and what happens to us when we die, that we are eternal beings, that we will live forever, but it won't be in a computer. And then, when they have an understanding, we can present the gospel, which ties all these questions together together and results in the peace, hope and joy that so many are searching for. I'd like to introduce two concepts to you. And let's be honest, at this point this is a reintroduction for most of you. First, paradox. No, not paradox. Paradox. Boil down, this is where two things conflict with each other at the same time in the same relationship. The water is hot, the water is cold. I can't stick my hand in water and find it to be both hot and cold at the same time. You could feel that the water is cold, while I feel that the same water is hot, but that's not the same relationship. My own hand, my own perception, cannot be both of those at the same time. That's a paradox. Second, insanity. I've seen a number of similar ways to state this, but the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's the car engine that cranks but won't start. So you get out, lift the hood, stare at the engine intently for a minute, get back in, try again. Same problem. Then you get out, look more closely at the engine. Get in, same thing. And yes, most of us are borderline insane as we do this sort of thing from time to time. Of course, it doesn't help when you've tried the same thing for the 12th time, having changed nothing, and then it works. That just reinforces this behavior and drives us deeper into insanity. But as I tend to do, <laughs> I digress. Today I'm going to hit quickly on three articles. Well, quickly is a relative term, but we're not going to look at any of them too deeply as none of the articles are really that deep to begin with, but they're all tied together. Loosely. Ish. Our first article is found on the Guardian.com headline, Schools Call for End to Archaic Daily Worship Following UK Census Results. Uh, yes, the Christianity is an old dusty religion argument. That argument is nearly as old as Christianity itself, it would seem. So the gist of this article is that with the recent drop in the UK census of Christianity to minority status, under 50%, and the rise of the nuns, or non-religious, up to 37%, the cries for doing away with Christianity altogether have picked up steam. Apparently, in the UK, quote, all state schools are legally required to provide an act of collective worship that is broadly Christian every day. Now, I'll give you a shiny farthing if you can guess how many actually do this kind of instruction as stated every day. Nick Gibb, the school's minister, said last year that his department would be investigating any allegations that this mandate is not being enforced but Nikki McGee, the lead teacher on religious education for the Inspiration Trust, says, quote, the collective worship is pretty much meaningless in schools that are not faith-based. The census results show it is archaic. Mark Shepstone, the assistant head at Bungay High School in Suffolk, backs this sentiment up by saying this requirement is just generally ignored by most schools because it's, you'll never guess, archaic. It appears that most schools still do the mandated assemblies, generally daily, although not always, and a general moral message, define that how you will, is given. But as Professor Russell Sandberg of Cardiff University, an expert on law and religion, says, quote, The legal framework is stuck in the 1940s. The census underlines that requiring a daily act of worship is utterly archaic and discriminatory. And he goes on to say, quote, the law breaches children's human rights because they have no choice. If your local school is faith-based, the religious ethos pervades everything and you can't opt out. As of right now, the Department of Education does not plan to make any changes to this requirement. Quote, collective worship encourages pupils to reflect on the concept of belief and the role it plays in society. Schools are able to tailor their provision to suit their pupils' needs. Hmm. Okay, keep this one in mind. And as we move on, we find on ToddStarns.com headline Atheist Triggered, colon, Oklahoma Governor Claims State for Jesus. So in the middle of November, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt prayed the following prayer. I'm not exactly sure what event this was for. Clearly, it was concerning the election, but the event is really not pertinent for the story. He says, quote, Father, we just claim Oklahoma for you. Every square inch, we claim it for you in the name of Jesus. Father, we can do nothing apart from you. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness. And Father, we just come against that. We just loose your will over our state right now in the name of Jesus. We just thank you, and we claim Oklahoma for you as the authority that I have as governor and the spiritual authority and the physical authority that you give me. I claim Oklahoma for you, that we will be a light to our country and to the world. We thank you that your will was done on Tuesday, and Father, that you will have your way with our state, with our education system, with everything within the walls behind me. Lord, we pray that you will root out corruption and bring the right people into this building. So this is a nice sentiment. The one issue I'd have to take is that I'd rather he took a more humble tack in the prayer. I mean... He has no right or authority to claim anything for God. He has no ability to loose anything over anything. Rather, it would have been nice if he had asked God to come and claim Oklahoma for himself and sweep across it in justice and mercy. I know what he was trying to say, though, and you may think I'm being nitpicky and that the Holy Spirit will clean up our language, but the language he used, the authority he claimed, is akin to the Dominion theology, which is... It's a dangerous theology, and it's not biblical in the least. I'd just like to know that he's not going down that road. For this discussion, that's neither here nor there. Plus, I've got Jim Justice for my governor, so (laughs) Regardless of his theological bent, wow did he trigger some folks with his Jesus talk. The Freedom From Religion Foundation stated, quote, The United States was the first nation to adopt a secular constitution, investing sovereignty in we the people, not a divine entity. In our nation, citizens can be any religion they like or none at all. Non-Christians and non-believers are not second-class citizens, and our government and its representatives may not take sides on religious matters. Okay, so it's true. The Constitution doesn't specifically say, we're going to worship God that doesn't mean that it was secular. Plus, you know, the language in the document where we declared ourselves a sovereign nation, that's kind of clear that the founders never considered this nation a secular nation. That said, they are correct. The freedom of religion is a real thing. People can choose to believe or not believe whatever they want, but that extends to citizens that happen to be in governmental positions as well. So, no, yeah, he can take a side on a religious matter, and the FFRF can go pound sand with their Karenesque screeching. But notice how quickly they jumped all over this. This literally made non Christian residents of Oklahoma second class citizens, uh, apparently. He was discriminatory and committed literal violence against people. Okay, so keep this one in mind also. Uh, Speaking of literal violence, moving on to article number three, found on TheBlaze.com, headline, Bible verse painted on high school teachers' parking space, anger's fellow staffer. Quote, I feel like it's attacking me. Well, we've now moved into Florida for this story where instructional assistant at Wiregrass Ranch High School Marianne Gentilesco is being traumatized on a daily basis by the violence being done to her. You see, students and teachers at this school, and I'm not sure if this is only the school district or if this is statewide, are given the freedom to express themselves, as long as what they're doing isn't being incorporated into the instruction or generally proselytizing, it's legal for them to do this. Still though, Ms. Gentilesco, who appears to be about 400 years old, 400 bitter years, says that she feels like this verse painted on a teacher's parking space in the parking lot is attacking her as she has to walk by it, or chooses to walk by it, I'm not really sure which. She said that it, quote, brings me to the verge of tears, and that although she would be fine if this was done at a church, quote, you put it on a state-funded property. I'm not okay with it. So what does this verse of violence say? Well, hide your ears and cover your children. The verse is Philippians 4.13, which violently and attackingly says, quote, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Oh, now how scared are you? My beef with this verse is that it's generally taken wildly out of context and slapped on every piece of merch possible. Every athlete claims this as his or her life verse, etc. But the truth is, uh, no, ne- neither you nor I can do all things. This is a verse where Paul was telling the Church of Philippi that he is very grateful for their concern for him and that they didn't need to worry about not being able to help him at a previous time. That he's had his highs and lows, he's had his times of plenty and times of hunger, he's had great abundance and times of need, and what he's learned is that he can endure all of these things, that he has the strength through Christ to weather all situations if Christ chooses to sustain him. But what does our Cretaceous-aged Ms. Gentilesco find troubling about this verse, you may ask? Well, she's a Jew. She said that she grew up hearing stories about her parents and the Holocaust and that walking past this parking space, seeing those words brings her back to the 6 million Jews that were killed for their faith. The article says that she also added, quote, they survived, we didn't. Now, I tried to find the exact context for that statement. I couldn't find it. I think from the context of this article that it's saying the Christians survived, the Jews didn't. So this is painful for her. Well, okay, let me set a few things straight before we move on, as I feel I need to, and this is my podcast, so I can do things like that. First, the Jews did survive. As a people and a religion, they weren't wiped out. The Christians also survived. As a religion, they weren't wiped out. Second, Hitler may not have started with the Christians, but Christians were also persecuted and murdered by him. Now, not to the same extent, but they were not immune. Hitler wasn't a Christian, and had no love or loyalty to Christians. Third, regardless of what Ms. Chantelesko thinks, the Jews were not wiped out because of their faith. Nothing I've read said that Hitler just hated the Jewish religion. Everything says that he was an anti-Semite, which is a person that hates the Jews as a culture, race, or ethnic group, per Merriam-Webster's dictionary. If you notice, no faith or religion component in there. There's a number of theories and facts as to why Hitler may have wanted to murder the Jews. One theory is that it was a Jewish doctor that inflicted great pain on Hitler's mother, trying to cure her breast cancer, which failed to do so, and Hitler blamed the doctor for her death and her pain. Now, this has been debunked. Another theory is that Hitler believed the Jews were responsible for Germany losing World War I because they betrayed Germany. Now, there's no evidence that the Jews betrayed Germany, but this rumor was spread and it's possible that this helped fuel the hatred for the Jewish people, especially since Hitler was a staunch German nationalist one fact is that Darwinian evolution played a part in his hatred for the Jews. In his striving to create the perfect race, the Aryans, he needed to eliminate all those that could pollute the human race, pollute it with blood that was not as evolved as the Germans. Hitler had an evolutionary chart of various races. The Jew was the least evolved of all ethnic groups, being, in his words, nearly pure ape. So, Ms. Gentilesco needs to get her history straight. Hitler didn't kill Jews based on religion, or at least, that wasn't a reason I could find anywhere. He did kill Christians, also, and likely not primarily for their religion, but for their eventual pushback on his policies and practices. So if she's thinking that the Christians got a free pass, uh, so a mention of Christ's literal physical violence on her, well, I'm sorry, darling, it's, it's not right. But now to the point of this segment, let's tie these points together, shall we? What can we take from these three articles, which are sadly very representative of attitudes toward Christianity in general? We can take that Christianity is archaic, falling out of favor, drifting away, obsolete, if you will. People don't even really care anymore about this archaic religion, so we might as well do away with it. That said, even though it's a dying belief system that holds no power, it is one of the most discriminating things possible to make a public profession of that faith, especially to force others to be claimed for God against their will. This religion on life support is so powerful, so dangerous, that we cannot allow people to state their beliefs out loud. In fact, just the words of this powerless relic are literal violence, attacking people and making them cry. See, these articles are a microcosm of our world today. Whether they want to admit it or not, all humans know inherently that God is real, that Jesus is real, that Christianity is a very real thing. They demonstrate this by their absolute fear of it and their desire for it to go away and to be relegated to the church building, maybe the church property in general, but definitely not out in polite society. This is the paradox that a majority of mankind find themselves in. They know that this is a stupid myth made up by weak, low IQ, backward people, but they must make it go away. Now, if there were a governor that said he claimed Oklahoma for Zorg, the god of Uranus, people would start looking into sizes of straitjackets and availability of rubber rooms, but largely he'd be ignored and derided as a nut. But claiming Oklahoma for god, oh... The Freedom From Religion Foundation absolutely knows that this carries weight, that there is a reality to this prayer. As for Ms. Gentilesco, it appears that it's only the words of the Christian faith that cause her pain. Would she have complained if it was maybe just a generic quote, say like, uh, quote, do not compare yourself to others. If you do so, you are insulting yourself. Or we could say maybe, uh, quote, don't let what other people think stop you from doing the things you love. Or how about a nice educational quote? quote, reading is not an end to itself, but a means to an end. Now, I feel confident saying that she wouldn't have thought twice about these quotes, possibly even expressing her appreciation for the inspiring words. She would have no idea that all three of these were quotes made by Hitler. And would any of us disagree with these quotes? (laughs) Not at all. I mean, there is truth to these sayings. Now, it's possible that Ms. Gentilesco, an educator of what appears to be Biden-esque advanced years, took what her parents allegedly told her at face value for her centuries of existence, never once bothering to read and investigate for untold seconds on Google to discover what the experts say were the reasons Hitler murdered so many people, or to discover that approximately 3 million Christians were murdered by Hitler also. That's possible! Or it could be that Ms. Gentilesco is using the wisdom of her many, many, many years to know that she could use her Jewishness as a cover for her hatred of Christianity. The bottom line is that either Christianity is true and holds weight and power in this world, or it's a dying obsolete myth. It can't be both. Now, I also gave you the definition of insanity, or at least the one that I like, at the start of this review, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Let me present for your review. Adam and Eve violated God's one rule. The process of death started. All mankind was cursed. They were kicked out of the garden. Pain and toil were now a part of life. The people of Noah's day ignored God. It didn't end well for them. The Israelites grumbled and complained throughout the Exodus and refused to believe God's promises. They wandered and died. The Israelites time and time again ignored the laws of God. Conquest, oppression, exile, slaughter was their punishment, eventually oppressed to the point that they humbly begged for God's forgiveness and came back to God. Moving into the New Testament era, we see more societies ignoring God. We see in the book of Revelation that churches apparently will have their lampstands removed. We see cults, we see twisting of scriptures, etc., etc., all resulting in pain, in false conversions, in apostasy, in destruction of faith, and ultimately a number known only by God going to hell because of the deception by men ignoring the truth and twisting God's word and the lethargy of man wanting to be bottle-fed the watered-down milk of the word, rather than diving in with fork and knife to the rich, satisfying meat on their own. Today we see the result of this laziness, this apathy to God being removed piece by piece from society, from education, from the public and private sector. The harrowing ride down the slippery slope of evil, hatred and perversion is picking up speed in an exponential rate, and Christians the world over are clutching to the toboggan as it careens down this slope with no idea at this point how to stop it or how to get off. We have myriad examples of what happens when we disobey God, ignore God, and ultimately remove God from a society, and yet we see those in England deciding that the best course of action for a society whose morality, ethics, and basic humanity is currently visibly crumbling to dust is to just finish the job. Put simply, mankind starts to ignore God, society worsens. Mankind says, this God thing doesn't work and ignores God more. Society worsens. Mankind says, this God thing doesn't work, and ignores God more. Society worsens. And the cycle continues. To the shame of most of us, we either don't recognize, or we figure other people are taking care of the problem at the very outset. And we don't query farther with, uh, is the problem actually that this God thing doesn't work, or is it that we won't listen to him? And the result is that we continue in our insanity. If Christianity is true, by definition, it will never be obsolete and it will never die. If Christianity is not true, why are so many terrified of it? Why is it so hated? And why do so many undertake the fight to remove it? If Christianity is true, we should be incorporating it into the very fabric of life and society. If Christianity is not true, why do societies fall apart when it's removed? 1 Corinthians 15 has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ Christ. Shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. If the argument that Paul just laid out is false, what are we doing here? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. But if the argument that Paul made is true, then we have hope, we have joy, we have peace, and we have a job to do. So which one is it? And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcasts at outlook.com or increasingly, I'll be using at LCPodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful. And until next time, God bless.